This episode is brought to you by Ursa Minor Outfitters. Folks, I'm absolutely in love with my Loon mug. It's handmade. It's an absolute piece of art. Whether it's at the office or at the house, people keep asking to check it out. If you're not a Loon fan, they also have other beautiful mugs for wildlife fans of moose, bears, and eagles. They specialize in products highlighting the outdoors and local pride through quality design by local artists. They've even started expanding into items beyond mugs, like apparel, dog accessories, and soon candles and more. They also try to partner and highlight other small businesses and in some cases forgo profits in lieu of charitable giving to help their community such as the dog rescue. So check them out ursaminoroutfitters.com and enter promo code HIKESMIKES10 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. And for our four-legged hiking partners they also have a portable silicone dog bowl and also sweet over-the-collar dog bandana. Go check them out ursaminoroutfitters.com and don't forget to enter promo code HIKESMIKES10 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. Welcome everyone to the Hikes and Mikes podcast. I'm your host, Ivan, and together we'll embark on a weekly journey connecting with extraordinary hikers from all corners of the U.S. and beyond. Throughout these winter months, we've had the privilege of conversing with some remarkable individuals this season. Their experiences and adventures will leave you yearning to hit the trails. In this week's episode, we're heading down to Mendocino County in Northern California to talk to an incredible hiker who is blending her love for hiking and fly fishing on her outdoor adventures. Her name is Megan, and you can follow her on Instagram at schmeekins underscore adventures. Megan shares with us some of her incredible places she's been able to call home, including Southern California, Utah, and now Mendocino County. She shares with us some of her favorite local hikes and trails, how she got into fly fishing, and a few of the major summits she's been able to reach. Without further ado, let's jump into this episode with our guest, Megan. Welcome, everyone, to the latest episode of the Hikes and Mikes podcast. I'm really excited to go back to NorCal and speak with this upcoming guest. We're going to be talking a little bit about what it's like to hike in and around her neck of the woods, as well as some of the great fishing spots that she's been able to share online. Her name is Megan. Thank you so much, Megan, for joining us on the podcast. You know, we always like to start off by asking our guests how long they've been hiking for and how they got started. Yeah. Hey, Ivan. Thank you so much for having me on. Let's see. I started hiking actually when I was really young. My dad was a outdoorsman and used to take me out to a place called Vasquez Rocks, which is near my hometown in northern LA County. And man, I think I was like four or five when I started hiking. Some of my earliest memories are actually out there with him hiking. But you know, as I got older, I got into sports and I was a multi-sport athlete and I didn't have a whole lot of time to go out and hiking. So I would say I came back to hiking again when I moved out to Utah in 2007 and I was working up at Snowbird Ski Resort. And so I'm driving up Little Cottonwood Canyon every day and the Wasatch Front is just beautiful country. And so I started looking up hikes to do in the area and just kind of, I don't know, I found some really cool places I wanted to explore. I had no friends out there. So started solo hiking. And yeah, I just kind of since then, I've been hiking like crazy. When, once I started solo hiking, it just kind of opened the door to explore more areas, realizing I didn't always need friends with me, which sometimes held you back from, you know, holds people back from hiking. So yeah, hitting the ground running since 2007 as an adult hiking. Right on. And you know, Megan, one thing I got to ask you, because every time I fly into Salt Lake City, I always try to make it up Cottonwood Canyon, just because it's such a gorgeous drive in all the seasons I've been able to, to visit. How was it driving it on a almost daily basis? You know what? I'm grateful because the red snake that is now infamous with the canyon during, especially during the winter time, wasn't nearly as bad. I also worked in the afternoon. So I was cruising up the canyon as everybody was coming off the mountain. So I was going against traffic, which was nice. And the summertime, you know, it still wasn't as popular back then as it was now. I think you have to make reservations to go up to Alta to see wildflowers now, which is insane. I just can't even imagine that now. But I will say I was literally grateful every single day to drive up that canyon. Like you said, all four seasons, it's a beautiful drive. The aspens are stunning during the fall as they're changing colors. And, you know, the only thing that's 
a little scary is Little Cottonwood Canyon is one of the most avalanche prone roads in North America. So, wow. Yeah. So, you know, it, it can be nerve wracking, but the crews out there with UDOT and all the ski resorts who do a great job with avalanche mitigation. So you you are in good hands, but you, you just, you never know. But yeah, beautiful drive. You've lived in some amazing outdoor landscapes. And right now you're you're based in um, NorCal. How would you describe the hiking and outdoor scene in and around your local neck of the woods? Yeah, so I'm actually based in Mendocino County right now, which is the county north of Sonoma, which I think more people are a little more familiar with. Mendocino County itself is very rugged. I would say the outdoor scene probably is like more like hunting, which is not my scene so much. But if you head over to the coast, you do have a lot of beautiful hiking areas and state parks over there. There's just not as much hiking inland. So for that, I like to head down to Sonoma County. It's you know, less than an hour away. I actually work down in Sonoma County. And Sonoma County is filled with regional parks and open spaces, just a lot of hiking, different terrain that you can experience from redwoods to the oaks. I would say it's very outdoorsy down in Sonoma County. So yeah, I'm pretty grateful. I feel like I have a lot of variety. I can be super rural or kind of head to a more populated area with, you know, more of a variety of trails. I feel lucky. I've been out here about eight years and took me a couple years to explore everything, but I love it out here. Yeah, it was really great going through your feed and trying to develop questions for your episode because it just seems so diverse in the different landscapes it has to offer. And, you know, the one thing that caught my attention was that you also love to fish and I've kind of slowly started incorporating hiking and fishing together. And I'm always curious how you got started fishing and what are some of your favorite fishing areas in and around Mendocino County? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say I started fly fishing during COVID. I'm one of those people, I guess. I was out hiking during COVID and the trails were just so saturated with people. You know, everything was shut down and some of the only things open were outdoor activities and stoked as I was for people to get out and enjoy nature during that time. I felt a little like it was too crowded for my taste of hiking. I like kind of the less populated trails, so to speak. So I started looking into fishing. I'm not super into traditional, you know, real fishing. It looks kind of boring to me. To be, no offense. <laughs> looks fun, but a little boring for me. And fly fishing is one of those things where growing up, it just, you have that, you know, feeling that it's like only something people do in like Montana and Colorado and these beautiful like creeks and streams. And so I never really thought I would be able to do that where I live. And boy, was I wrong. I started doing research and I realized you could fly fish still water. And that kind of opened up the door for me to explore fly fishing. I have Lake Mendocino right here in my backyard. It's 10 minutes away from me. And I just started doing a ton of research. Again, we're locked down from COVID. So I'm YouTube watching and getting all these tips and, you know, what gear do I need to buy? And I, yeah, I just went out to Lake Mendocino and practiced my butt off. You know, it's not easy to learn how to cast and especially bank fishing a lake, you know, and we're mid drought. So, you know, the, the banks of the lake are all steep behind me, but it was really cool. And to be honest, I was the only person out there fishing or bank fishing Lake Mendocino. So I kind of recaptured that solitude in nature and connected with a whole new ecosystem. I never thought about waterways and what was living in them. Even on my normal hikes, I would see a lake and be like, cool, this is really beautiful and eat lunch and leave. And I just have this whole appreciation now when I'm hiking and I get to an alpine lake, I am thinking, can I fish this? What fish are in here? What are they biting right now? What fly should I throw? So it's been a game changer. I've looked up more hikes recently that, you know, either parallel a creek or a river or take me to some idyllic, you know, lake for not just lunch, but also to fish. And I wouldn't say I'm a pro by any means, but I'm able to get the fly in the water and I'm able to catch fish. So I'm doing something right and it's fun. And I will say the fly fishing community are lovely human beings. I've had a lot of people give me tips and support me and I'm really grateful for that. So 
So as great as our hiking community is, the fly fishing community is super supported too. And yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I highly recommend it. I think Lake Mendocino has quite a bit of diverse fish in that lake because some of the pictures, it's it's a wide variety that you've been able to catch there. And I'm always intrigued with fly fishing because it just seems like, like you said, you're constantly moving and casting, whereas the traditional rod and reel, you know, you just kind of stick it in the ground and maybe put a bell on it and just wait it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's, I get lost for hours. I'll say I want to go fly fish for an hour at Lake Mendocino. And next thing I know, I'm hungry and thirsty and been out there for four hours. Yeah. And, you know, to your point, I've caught huge catfish on my fly rod, your bass, your bluegill, you know, all your little warm water species. They love a fly. So yeah, you know, don't always have to think fly fishing is all about trout. So hopefully that opens the door for some other people to maybe try it out too. And we've kind of touched base on this, but I feel like Northern California, especially it's so biodiverse because you have the, the coastal hikes, you have the redwoods, and then you have the Sierras, Lake Tahoe, all those beautiful landscapes that Northern California is known for. What makes some of those local counties like Mendocino, Sonoma, and, and even Humboldt unique? And, and what are some of your favorite trails from each? Yeah, no, you're, you're right. These three counties up here north, you know, they're kind of sandwiched between, you know, the Oregon border and San Francisco. You have a wide array of you. You got the redwoods and the ferns and this lush forest. And then, you know, you have these oak woodlands that are a bit drier, but just as beautiful. And then you have the coast, which I mean, from Humboldt all the way down to Sonoma is just breathtaking. So yeah, Humble, I do spend a lot of time up in Humble. I lived up there for a few years and you know, they're synonymous with redwood trees. And a lot of people go up there and, you know, do the Avenue of the Giants. And, you know, you see a lot on Instagram, people going to Fern Canyon, which is definitely a must do on everybody's list. The pictures are, yeah, what you see is literally what it is. Just these beautiful walls of ferns as you walk through this canyon with a creek running through it. It really is something that should be on everybody's bucket list. It's definitely somewhere I try to visit every couple years just because it is. It's so beautiful. And where Fern Canyon is located is Prairie Creek State Park and also a ton of Roosevelt elk out there if you want to try to hopefully catch some, some Roosevelt elk. Those are beautiful animals. They're huge. Yeah. So normally when you pull into Prairie Creek, there's this beautiful open grass meadow and the elk kind of like to hang out around there every once in a while. So that would be definite to do in Humboldt County. Uh, A lot of people love the Lost Coast. That's also a pretty famous hike to do out there. You need a permit to go do the Lost Coast Trail, typically three-day trail. I have actually not done it yet. And then some of the like probably lesser known places that I would recommend, Sumeg State Park, which is in Trinidad. You know, you got Wedding Rock, which is a cool viewpoint overlooking the ocean, great place to catch a sunset. And then you can hike down to Agate Beach, which is, you know, one of the top beaches, I think, up in Humboldt County. And then probably like a lesser known, even more lesser known thing. It's not really a hike, but there's the Redwood Skywalk at Sequoia Zoo in Eureka. Yeah, that thing's pretty sweet. It's only a few years old and it's basically this like boardwalk platform that's cabled up into the redwood grove within the zoo. And you can walk through, you know, you're walking through redwoods, but from a whole different vantage point. And below you, you have like some of the park animals. So you got the bears and the red pandas below you. So I recommend that for families or just people want to take it easy. Yeah. And that place has been on my bucket list, uh, Megan, once they announced it. What's the processing of getting up to the actual, like to where you're walking around? Is it just a bunch of stairs that you have to climb in order to reach the canopy? No, actually, it's a ramp. I I can't. Yeah, I can't say for sure if the whole thing is like ADA friendly. I don't want to, you know, put that little label on it. But I want to say it might be. It was a ramp to get up and then you just kind of, yeah, wander around the the trees up there. There's a couple different pathways you can take and then it loops back around and you take the ramp back down. Fairly easy. Yeah. And I think the admission to the zoo gets you on the skywalk. I could be wrong about that, but the zoo's also just worth seeing as well. There's some cool animals there. Yeah. And then, you know, Mendocino and Sonoma, I've kind of already touched, you know, on these two local areas. Mendocino's got the coast. 
highly recommend going and checking out some places around the coast. And Sonoma, everybody thinks of wine country, but again, there's Sonoma has redwoods too out in West County, Occidental, Sebastopol area. And then inland, you have like the oak, you know, woodland kind of nature trails and whatnot. Some mountains you can summit, you know, small mountains, quote unquote. They're about 4,500 feet <laughs> for out here. That's that's <laughs> tall. So yeah, there's plenty of variety of hiking trails between the three counties. And like I said, I'm pretty grateful to be living out here. You've had quite a, a progression from, you know, growing up in Southern California with more of that desert landscape and then going to Utah with their giant mountains and even like high desert landscape in, in and around Salt Lake City and now to Northern California. How was the transition for you from going from SoCal to Utah and then finally in, in NorCal? Because they are kind of unique in the sense that the landscape is drastically different between all of them. Yeah, you are absolutely right. They are all very different. Growing up in the high desert in Southern California, you know, it's dry, windy, views for days, you know, I, I can look out in any direction and, you know, just for endless, it just seems endless out there, you know, until the next mountain range. And, you know, our tallest quote unquote trees are the Joshua trees out there. So yeah, but I, I did. I love the desert. It has its own beauty. And every time I go home to visit, I realize how much I do miss being down there. When I moved out to Salt Lake, that was kind of my first time being around snow on a regular basis. And yeah, like you said, these big granite mountains with aspen trees, like it was a whole new ecosystem for me to learn. And yeah, just like water everywhere. I'm like, what's this? There's water everywhere. And it, it was cool. It took me a little bit to get adjusted to it. And, you know, I do miss it out there. I'm actually heading out there for Christmas. So I'm pretty excited to head out there and, you know, see the Wasatch again. And then living up in Humboldt, and, you know, Mendocino, the redwoods and the humidity and these giant tall trees and everything's so lush and green. Oh, man, it's crazy. It's year round how green it is. I'm not used to that being a desert rat. And yeah, it's, it's hard to explain. Every time you go out, you know, I am just always taken aback by redwoods. I just it, you never get used to them. I could hike in them every single day. And I'm still in awe of how tall and beautiful they are. And how beautiful the forest itself is. So I don't know. I, I kind of like how diverse all my locations have been that I've lived. I feel like I try to really learn the ecosystem that I'm living in at the time. And I, yeah, just grateful to be all the places I've been. And I always kind of miss them a little bit when I move away from them or I'm visiting somewhere else. So yeah, they're definitely all a part of me. And grateful for all the places I've lived so far. Yeah. And you've been able to share pieces from, from each one of those locations on your Instagram feed. And it's been amazing to, to see, you know, that transition from each place to, to now up in Northern California. And you mentioned it. And I'm always curious because Washington state is known as the evergreen state. So it's not really known for its fall colors outside of its larches. But what's the, the fall hiking season like in and around Mendocino County? You know, it, it is. It's beautiful. It's, you know, nothing like you see where aspens are or, you know, back east. I mean, they have stunning fall foliage. I could say that word, right? Fall colors. The oaks do turn colors out here. So it, it is fun, you know, to see the oaks. For me, it's more the acorn. The acorns start producing in the fall. I love seeing that. love seeing them on the ground. The acorn woodpeckers are going crazy trying to collect as many as they can. So for me, that's what I think of fall when I'm out here in Mendo. But don't discount the redwoods. The redwoods can be really beautiful in the fall too. There's, you know, they have big leaf maple trees that kind of grow within the redwoods and, you know, those really pop in the fall. So you mm -hmm. get the the contrast of the green and then you'll just see this one random yellow, bright yellow maple leaf tree, you know, and really beautiful. So yeah, you know, the fall colors aren't, you know, super spectacular, but I think there's an appreciation for the colors out here. Like I said, I, I do recommend the redwoods in the fall. I really do. And I, I guess I will say, which is one thing that's a little overlooked for fall colors, the vineyards in wine country, they oh. do turn colors 
And they they are very beautiful as well, especially the different varietals kind of turn at different times. So you can have a, you know, a block of Merlot that may be a different color than a block of Chardonnay, so to speak. So yeah, I, I would say, you know, vineyards are also really picturesque this time of year, which people probably don't really think of either. So wine yeah. country in the fall, put that on your bucket list as well. Oh, such a great tip. I would have never thought about vineyards. Now, Megan, this episode's coming out in the middle of winter, and I feel like like in, in your neck of the woods, you might get a little bit of snow, but it's nothing that kind of shuts things down. What kind of hiking do you do in the winter months? Yeah, you're right. Snow does not impact where I'm at. We're pretty much at sea level on the coast. Maybe a couple times a year, you'll get a little dusting of snow and everyone gets, you know, all crazy about it and excited about it. And then it's melted by, you know, 12 o'clock. So yeah, out here, this is our rainy season, just like you up in the Pacific Northwest. And so with the rain comes, you know, waterfalls. So last year I was able to get out and see a few of the local waterfalls. I went up to Cataract Falls and Mount Tamalpais. But this winter, I'm going to try to tackle Alamir Falls, which is in Point Reyes. It is one of only two waterfalls, I believe, in California that essentially dump into the ocean. So they go over the cliffside or a bluff, the ocean there, and literally just drop onto the sand into the ocean. I have not been there yet. And it's, you know, essentially in my backyard as well down in Marin County. So going to try to tackle that this year once we get a couple more storms in. So pretty excited for that. And then I'm actually going to go back up to Humboldt in January and check out Burn Canyon because my girlfriend has not been there yet. So I got to take her out there. And then my big bucket list thing is to try to catch some steelhead with the fly rod. Steelhead start running this time of year all up here in the North Coast, be it the Russian River or up in Humboldt County on the Trinity, the Eel River, the Klamath. So I'm trying to at least get one trip in to go up north and, you know, try to get some steelhead. And I'm going to try to focus on the Russian River this year if conditions are okay. It is, you know, heavily regulated due to our water issues here in Northern California. But hoping to be able to, you know, try to go out there and try to fly fish for some steelhead. That's my big bucket list winter activity this year. I'm hoping to accomplish. Oh, man. I'm looking forward to seeing both of those, the waterfall and the steelhead. That's amazing. Yeah, thanks. Hopefully I have a steelhead picture for you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now, you know, talking about waterfalls, one of my favorite regular segments that we do here on the podcast is doing a deep dive into our guests' IG feed and picking a picture and asking them about, you know, a little bit of details about the picture and about the location. For you, Megan, the one that caught my eye, and I haven't heard of it, most people hear about Bernie Falls, but Mossbray Falls, am I saying that right? Mossbray Falls? Yes. Yes, you are. That one caught my attention. Can you share a little bit about that experience? And it's such a magical looking place. Yeah, I... Holy smokes. I had never heard of Mossbray Falls either. This last spring with our record snowpack, I knew the waterfalls were going to be insane this year. So I made a little like, you know, quick weekend itinerary to go check out Bernie Falls and the McLeod Falls, which are kind of the heavy hitters on Instagram and, you know, tourist locations. And I was telling a friend that I was going to go up there and check those out. And he was like, hey, there's you're going to check out that waterfall outside of Dunsmere. It's really beautiful. There's like ferns and the water goes over the ferns. And I don't know what it's called. It's I just look it up. It's outside Dunsmere. And I'm like, okay. So I go on all trails to look it up. And, you know, it says in big, bold letters, it's private property. So I got a little nervous doing more research and digging. Technically, yes, the trail to get to Mossbury Falls goes along the Union Pacific Railroad path. So you are technically, full disclosure, trespassing. However, it's kind of one of those things where they look the other way as long as people are being safe and smart out there and being respectful. I think they just kind of turned a blind eye to it, knowing that Mossbury Falls is such a iconic location. It's stunning. And I do believe, you know, the city of Dunsmere is trying to work with the railroad company to create a safe legal path to get back there. But anyways, I did it and the walk along, along the railroad tracks 
was a little sketchy for me. There's not much room if a train does come. So I I was hiking at a pretty quick speed to get off the railroad tracks, but it's beautiful. Walk along the railroad tracks, you're just kind of cruising out there. You got the river down below you and you get to the spot where you the water's getting louder and the trail kind of cuts back down to where the waterfalls are. You walk through these trees and through the trees, you just see the water pouring over this fern wall. And when you poke out of the trees and see that waterfall, probably one of the most beautiful things I've like walked into, you know, where it just takes your breath. I, I, I do. I you know, pending people are safe and respectful to get out on that hike. I do recommend it. It's wow. It's beautiful. Especially, you know, I think this spring we're supposed to get a lot of rain with the El Nino this year. So I think it'll be a good year to go out and check it out. But full disclosure, you are trespassing. Appreciate you sharing that, Megan. And yeah, I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, if people get a chance, please visit Megan's Instagram and look that up because it looks like something from a fantasy um, movie like or, or something along those lines. Just it's so green and the way the water's coming over. It's just it's it's unbelievable. It is. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, super grateful to go see it. I would love to go back again. It was it was that beautiful. Totally worth the stress of walking along the railroad track. And you know, one thing I'm jealous about NorCal Megan is it's such a great launching pad to go to any of the California national parks. You can go in any direction and, and hit either Redwoods, Yosemite, Sequoia, Kings Canyon, Pinnacles even. What have been some of your favorite trips to some of those California national parks in, in the last few years? Yeah, you know, I, I do feel pretty lucky. I'm a little bit further removed like from the Sierras. However, it is an easy, you know, weekend trip. Twice this year, I was lucky enough to go out to Yosemite for a quick weekend trip. I went out on an early Saturday morning and came back Sunday afternoon. So I am fortunate enough to be able to be that close. There's people who would do anything to be that close to Yosemite. Mm -hmm. So I went out there twice. I went out again. I knew it was going to be insane for the waterfalls this year. So I, I booked a reservation for an Airbnb out there for the, I think the first weekend of May I went and wow, the water in Yosemite this year did not disappoint. The waterfalls were, wow, I, I don't even, unbelievable. I'm sure everybody saw all the posts that everybody like posted of, you know, Upper Falls and Vernal Falls and Nevada Falls. They just were roaring this year. It was really cool. So we hiked up to, we did the mist trail, which was very misty, <laughs> especially with all the water this year. We we did that up to Vernal Falls this year. And then the second day, we actually met somebody else you interviewed on here, Gino. We met Gino and did Upper Falls. And nice. that was just beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Gino's a great guy. So he that's his, you know, Yosemite's his wheelhouse. So it was cool to go up with him. And he was able to kind of talk us through Upper Falls. I, I hadn't been there since I was a kid. So I wasn't too sure on what we were getting into on that hike. And it's a good challenge, but super worth it. Super doable if you just, you know, put your head down and grind through it. And the views from the top of the falls up there, breathtaking. So yeah, grateful to do that in the spring. And then, you know, we loved it so much out there in the spring, we decided to try to go back in the fall and catch some fall colors and totally different vibe. The water was more mellow. The falls were just, you know, slowly flowing over the edge, you know, so it was really cool to feel the difference of the park. The colors were beautiful. And one thing I did, which I actually can say, I, I think I got the idea from some people I follow on Instagram, was to rent a bike down there in Curry Village Ooh. and just ride a bike along the valley floor. I, I Dude, couldn't recommend it enough. Yeah. And it, you just kind of slow down a little bit when you're driving. It's hard to find a parking spot or it's just like you're worried about cars and people and just a little chaotic on a bike. You kind of go at your own pace. You can pull over whenever you want. If you see something, you want to take a picture or, you know, ride out and have lunch somewhere. So I do recommend that get there early to get your bike rental in. But oh man, that was that was a really cool experience. So those are my two Yosemite trips. I honestly don't think we went to any other national parks in California this year, aside from I guess Redwood National Park up in Humboldt. Did a little 
you know, day hike up there. So yeah, don't know. I haven't been to Pinnacles yet. I got to get that one on my list too. That one's fairly close. Outside of the national park system, what have been some of your favorite recreational areas that you like to visit? I think one little hidden gem is the very, very rugged Mendocino National Forest that sits just about 45 minutes northeast of where I'm at above Clear Lake. It is, let's see, there's 18 national forests within California, and it is the only one that does not have a paved road or highway cutting through it. So at any point, if you want to drive through the forest, you're going to be on a dirt road. So it's it's rugged country up there. Steep roads, highly recommend four-wheel drive almost on any dirt road you're on. There's, you know, a couple of the the main little, you know, forest highways, quote unquote, that you might be able to take a two-wheel drive car on, but it, it's rugged up there, but well worth it. I've done a lot of camping up there and Snow Mountain Wilderness contains no mountain. And that's a really beautiful hike that, you know, you kind of see everything from up there down into the Central Valley. You can see Lassen on a clear day, Shasta on a clear day. And then you can see out, you know, the coast ranges. And yeah, I think that's kind of a little secret spot up there. I love to go up there and just kind of get away from everything. You really feel disconnected from the world up there. There's no cell service. So Try to get up to Mendocino National Forest a couple times a year for camping and hiking. Locally, man, yeah, there's, I am lucky. There's a lot of little preserves and open spaces in this region. I I did discover this year Hoover Wilderness, which is actually over in the Eastern Sierras. So I did a little road trip out there and that was a really stunning place for fall colors. They got all the aspen trees out there and they got the West Walker if you want to fish that. And there's also a ton of little lakes back there for fishing. So good backpacking place, good, good fishing place. Yeah. I, I, I mean, California is so much like wilderness land and national forests. It's yeah. Enough to keep you busy for a lifetime to go explore it all. And I do, I try to kind of go out into those areas a little bit more. I like the ruggedness more of a national forest, love a national park, but they're just getting so bogged down and crowded, you know, Yosemite's rolling out the reservation system again this summer. So yeah, try to explore some other places that are kind of getting a little overlooked. So I like the Hoover Tahoe National Forest is another cool place. like to get out there often. And I got to ask, because of the rugged roads, do you think a Subaru, uh, the sedan or, or the SUV would be able to make it through some of those dirt roads in Mendocino National Forest? Yes, I actually drive a Subaru Crosstrek. So yeah, in the wintertime, do not recommend it in the wintertime. People get trapped up there all the time. I don't think they really plow roads up there and people do get stuck up there. But in the summer, yeah, I think you'd be fine in a in a Subaru. You need some high clearance if you want to cross some waterways. Just do your research. If you're going to go up there, definitely do your research. But yeah, yeah, you can get up there with a Subaru. Oh, good to know. And Megan, you've, you've done some traveling across the West and you've even done some peak bag you know, coming up here to the Pacific Northwest and climbing in somebody in Mount St. Helens to then Mount Whitney there in, in California. Can you share a little bit about your experiences peak bagging some of these tall peaks? Yeah, I was planning a pretty massive road trip. And on my path, I decided, you know, Mount St. Helens would be pretty cool to summit. Started doing research and got my permit. And yeah, I was able to summit that in September of 2021. I did it solo. I think I started at 3 a.m. And at the time I was like, wow, this is really early to start a hike. Super cool hike. It, it has like these three different, you know, like sections to it where the beginning you're hiking through this beautiful forest and then you pop out and you essentially start like scrambling up Monitor Ridge, which are these giant boulders. And, you know, you got to like climb up a little bit and then look for this post that's kind of like your marker. And then you kind of scramble to that post. And then you look and you look for the next post and scramble up to the next post. So you're doing that. and, And then once you pop out of that, you just have this vertical beach of ash that you're like sand duning, like scrambling up for every like two steps up, you're sliding back. And oh man, it, it was a bit challenging. I think mileage on that's a little bit shorter than, you know, you'd probably imagine for 
big mountain summit like that. But it, it was awesome. I enjoyed it. Unfortunately, the crater rim was under a giant cloud when I got up there. So no views. But I guess my takeaway was I had the summit all to myself for 20 minutes. So no girl can't kidding. complain. That, yeah, I'm like, so just super grateful to have done that. It was a great challenge. And then, yeah, like you said, that kind of kicked off this like, you know, confidence that I I can kind of do these more challenging mountains by myself. So I actually was able to do Lassen last summer as a warm-up hike to Whitney. And yeah, I was super grateful. I got a permit to do Whitney in July of last year, 2022. And I started that off at 1am because I was like, I want to be able to take my time. I don't want to push myself, you know, too hard to the point where I'm under pressure on this time limit. I just wanted to wake up and take my time. And this really magical thing happened. I ran into two other girls who were also solo summiting. So the three of us banded together and, you know, did, I don't know, like three quarters of the hike together. And we got up to Whitney and I can also say, I don't remember much of it up there. (laughs) I think I had a little bit of a altitude deliriousness. I didn't know it at the time. I thought I was totally fine. But once I got down, I was like, I don't really remember anything up there. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember time. I didn't take any pictures. I took like two pictures. I'm like, oh my God, I love Whitney. And just, yeah, I guess I was just absorbing the moment, having lunch with some other people we met on the trail. It was a really incredible experience. Super grateful. My dad had summited Whitney when I was a kid and that always stuck out to me. I just thought my dad was the coolest guy on earth because he had climbed Mount Whitney and I used to brag to all my friends about it. And yeah, so it just kind of came full circle. It was really cool to, you know, kind of follow my dad's footsteps and, you know, bag Whitney in a day. It's no easy feat. Lots of training, lots of training goes into it. And, you know, I think as long as people train and try to get some altitude in before the hike, I, I think it's pretty doable for most people out there. Yeah. And props to you for making it up there. And you, you shared a picture with you holding the sign, I believe, up at the summit. Yeah. And the one thing that always comes up, especially when it comes to Mount Whitney, it's the one mountain that a lot of people, they don't have altitude issues at other places with similar elevation. But for some strange reason, Mount Whitney does it for folks. And I don't know if it's just a little bit more strenuous hike, but you're not the first person that said once they get up there, they kind of lose track of time. And by the time they get down, they're like, I didn't take any pictures. Like I, I have everything's a little fuzzy from from being up at the summit. Yeah, you know, and I think the other thing is like, you're so focused on your body and like how you're feeling mentally and physically that you just you really don't have time to pull your camera out. I mean, the people who do kudos to you, you know, there's a part of me that wishes I was able to capture a little bit more. But you know, I internally remember almost every moment of that hike, except for the summit, apparently. <laughs> so I guess that's all that matters. It It's crazy, though. You, I don't think you realize how much the altitude hits you until you come back down and you're like, whoa, dude, I, I'm not sure how good I was doing. Maybe do you have a, a peak in mind for 2024 that you want to summit? Well, not so much peak, but I have not done Half Dome yet. Actually, I was super stoked. My girlfriend was the one who was like, hey, I kind of want to do half dome. And I was like, oh my God, that's like a dream come true to hear you say that. <laughs> so we'll put in the lottery in March and fingers crossed we're able to get two permits. But yeah, half dome, that that is on my list. I, I'm hoping to get half dome. I think that's another one where it's physically challenging mileage wise and you got the cables. So there's something really cool to have something like a hike to focus on. That's so challenging that you do these warm up hikes and training hikes. And I'm a research nerd. So I'll, you know, go online and read people's blogs and reach out to people on Instagram who've done it and get tips. And yeah, so quote unquote summit for 2024. (laughs) I'll be keeping my fingers crossed for you for the lottery system. Now talking about summits, you know, I feel like especially day hikes, but some backpackers too, they sometimes have a regular summit routine that they do or just a, a hiking routine that they do when they're out on the trails. For some, it's packing a favorite snack or some sort of trail beverage. For others, it's a moment of zen. And then for a lot of people, it's it's their favorite meal afterwards or, or just having any meal afterwards. Do you have a regular custom or routine that you do when you reach your destination or maybe when you make it back out? Yeah, I... 
I feel, again, I'm kind of a nerd. When I get to the top of a summit, especially if it's, you know, a region I'm very familiar with, I kind of like to look for landmarks that I know, be it another, you know, mountaintop. I'm like, oh, out there's, you know, St. Helena or whatever, or, you know, try to find cities or waterways like, oh, that lake, you know, I, I don't know why I love to try to kind of get my bearings and see what I can see from that summit. It's very telling of how high up you are, how far you've hiked when you can look back and be like, oh, dang, that's a parking lot way down there. So I kind of take that in at first, taking the surroundings, the 360 view. Up there, I'll normally, I'm, I'm a fan of drinking a uh, yerba mate, a uh, guayaki mm. yerba mate. I, you know, guayaki's made here in Sonoma County. They're based out of Sebastopol. So they're like on every shelf and every store and gas station in this area. It's really cool to see them spreading. I think I saw them in like Arizona and Colorado this year. I was like, oh my gosh, guayaki's growing. But yeah, that's, I, I love to have one of those <laughs> up on the summit. If someone brings a summit beer, I will not turn that down. I love a summit beer. And then, yeah, once I get down, I'm looking for a brewery, a burger and a beer. Man, yeah, I think that's the best reward is a burger and a beer. So sign me up for that after as a post-hike ritual. And I'm right there with you. I don't know what it is about coming down out of a hike and finding a good burger and beer place. It's, it just hits a little different after a hike. I agree. I agree. <laughs> now, Megan, when it comes to your pack list, do you tend to carry a luxury item that kind of falls outside of the 10 essentials? You know, this one, I, I had to think about this one. I was like, man, I, I think I'm pretty basic. I think I just take the essentials. And then it hit me. I guess my fly rod is a luxury item. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, I, I did yeah. carry something. Yeah. My <laughs> fly rod, that, that is not something I ever carried with me before I started fly fishing. And, you know, I kind of recently discovered, well, I didn't discover, but I recently bought a Tinkara rod, which kind of telescopes down into like this foot long rod. And so it's super easy to pack. It's a fixed line. So you don't need a reel. So real good for small creek and stream fishing or any kind of alpine lakes. So yeah, I broke down and bought one of those for my backpacking and just even day hiking trips. So if I end up not fishing, no big deal. It's not a whole lot of added weight. doesn't take a whole lot of space. So yeah, my fly rod. And I've, I've been seeing more and more telescoping rods out on some of these alpine lakes. And it does get me thinking like, oh, it's, it's not that much weight to just take it with me. And if, if there's good fishing, there's good fishing. If there isn't, then, you know, it's not too much of a burden on my back. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know what, I think Tinkara rods are much cheaper than, you know, actual like Orvis fly rod and a reel and the, you know, the backing and the lines and everything, you know, someone just wants to try it out and, you know, kind of get their feet wet, so to speak. Uh, Tinkara rods are a good way to go. There's a lot of different companies out there that make them. So, you know, solid tip. And, you know, talking about fishing, I've come to an intersection of my fishing spots are also starting to become my hiking spots because whether I'm hiking, I find, you know, a body of water that I'm like, oh, I wonder if there's any fish in there. Or maybe I'm fishing and I see a, a summit or a peak and I'm like, oh, I wonder how you can get over there. Have you found that beautiful blend of, you know, mixing fishing and hiking together? Yeah, that, you know, yeah, you hit it on the head. You know, I'll be out hiking and see something cool to fish. And then I'll be fishing and look up and be like, wow, I wish I could summit that mountain right there. So yeah, as I mentioned earlier, Hoover Wilderness hiking out of Levitt Meadows kind of encompasses all of that. It's just beautiful backpacking. Even if you're not into fishing, there's miles and miles and days and days worth of trails to explore out there. And great places to set up base camp. But like I said, there's also the West Walker River. You have a ton of lakes to fish out there. I would love to go back out there for a longer stretch of time and try to explore more of the lakes out there. Another place that I'm going to try to go to next year are the Trinity Alps. Same thing, lots of beautiful backpacking trails out there, but also a ton of unbelievable fishing lakes out there full of trout. So going to try to get out there and explore that. That that's a bucket list place for me. I somehow have never been out there despite living near the Trinity Alps for so many years. So yeah, Desolation Wilderness, I think, would be another spot that there's like a ton of lakes, ton of hiking, and you're just torn between the two. 
that'd be another spot. I've done some day hiking out there. I also did that with Gino. And yeah, chomping at the bit every time I walked by a lake. I was like, oh man, I should have brought my fly rod. <laughs> oh, I feel you. I'm almost yeah. tempted to just have a rod in my car at all times now. Because there's some drives where I'm like, yeah, I just want to pull over, see if I can cast a little bit and then, you know, keep it going. <laughs> I know it's awful. Once you get into fishing, anytime you pass like any kind of river, lake or creek, you like kind of like rubbernecking over the side of the road. You're like, oh, can I fish that? And sort of pull out anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now you, you've been able to share, Megan, a few of the, the upcoming adventures, whether it's possibly doing Half Dome and some of the fishing spots that you're hoping to hit in 2024. Are there any hiking or, or travel goals that you have for the upcoming year as well? Uh, I am going to go back out to Tucson. My brother moved out there, uh, let's see, last year. So yeah, going to go back out to Tucson, explore some more out there. There's so many beautiful places within and around Tucson. So try to get out there, get some cool day hiking in. We are going to go back out to Colorado. We were able to go to Denver this last year. We're going to go back out to Denver again this year. So try to get some more time up in the Rockies. We got one hike in this last summer, but hoping to explore a little bit more again. Rocky National Park had a reservation system. And by the time I was like, oh yeah, let me check it out. All the slots were filled up. So unfortunately, wasn't able to check that out. So hopefully this year I can plan a little more in advance and go check that out. If not, I mean, there's just like the Wasatch, no shortage of places to go and explore in the Rockies. Yeah. And then here in California, I kind of discovered out by Lassen area called Caribou Wilderness, which mm -hmm. I really have never heard of. I literally, I was just like playing on a map. That's how I find so many of these spots. I open up Google Maps and just kind of start moving the map around. And Caribou Wilderness, this looks like this beautiful, I don't, I, you know, I've never been, so I can't explain it, but it looks like there's just tons and tons of lakes out there within the forest and lots of backpacking and again, fishing. But I, I would like to get out there and try to hike around out there. So yeah, a lot of plans, a lot of traveling, and I'm sure I'll be busy. <laughs> Things will pop up as the year goes on too, I'm sure of it. For sure. Yeah. 2024 is stacking up to be another great year for you in the outdoors. Looking forward to seeing yeah. uh, the pictures from your adventures. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Well, that was it, Megan, for the regular questions. This last portion of the podcast is the this or that questions. They did get updated for season five, so there's a couple new ones. But I'm just going to give you two options, and you just choose which one you personally prefer. They do get tougher as we go, but the first one is... Do you prefer a steep incline or a steep decline? Ooh, geez, that's a good one. You know what? I'm getting up there in age. Not really. I'm, I'm in my 40s, but I feel those steep declines now. Oh, my goodness. And you know what? They're, they're you know, footing wise, it can be pretty sketchy. So I'll take a steep incline. I also like that challenge. And I love to be able to turn around and be like, Whoa, I climbed up really far in just like five minutes. So give me a steep incline. <laughs> and this next one is, do you prefer waterfalls or summits? I'm a summit girl through and through. I love waterfalls, but I love me a summit. And this one is about trail systems. When it comes to climbing some of these mountains, do you prefer switchbacks or would you rather go just straight up? I prefer switchbacks. It's just a little bit easier on the body. You can see a little bit more of the trail. I don't know. Also, they're a little bit better for the ecosystem. I mean, depending on where they're, you know, obviously if it's a managed trail, a straight up is okay if it's an actual managed trail. But yeah, I, I, I stick to the... Let's stick to the switchbacks. And then do you use trek poles or do you prefer freehand? Depending on the hike, I will use trekking poles. Again, I just kind of have been feeling it in my knees. So if it's a doozy of a hike, high mileage or a lot of elevation gain, I'll have poles. Little day hikes that are seven, eight miles, I'll, I'll just freehand it. And when it comes to your footwear, do you prefer trail runners or hiking boots? That's a good one too. I recently got into trail runners for Whitney. But uh, leading up to Whitney, I felt my ankle almost roll a couple times. So I pivoted back into hiking boots just, you know, to be safe with my ankle. So I, I'm, I'm a hiking boot girl. And this one's another trail system question. But do you prefer a loop trail or an out and back trail? Ah, uh, you know, I do like a loop. It's kind of you get to see something different the entire hike. Uh, out and back school because you see coming back with different eyes, maybe better views or 
something you didn't see before, but I, I do like a loop trail. It kind of widens, you know, your chances of seeing more stuff, which pretty cool. And when it comes to these bodies of water that you get a hike to or hike alongside, do you touch the water, whether it's just dipping your, your toe, maybe a hand, or for some people it's jumping in, or do you prefer just to stay dry? Yeah, I'll definitely try to touch it. Feels good on the feet too after a long hike, you know? So yeah, give me, give me at least a little wet. If not, maybe I'll jump in. And this one's super tough, but do you prefer sunset hikes or sunrise hikes? Yeah, that's, that is a doozy of a hike. It's like asking to pick your favorite child, but <laughs> I do like sunrises. There's something really cool about seeing the color of the sky start slowly turning and hearing the birds slowly waking up, you know. Yeah, I, I do like a sunrise hike a little bit more than a sunset. And then another equally tough one, but spring flowers or fall colors? Fall colors. There's something about the smell. And yeah, I've always been a fall girl. It's one of my favorite seasons. Uh, probably is my favorite season. So yeah, I like the fall colors. And then the last one is outside of the national park system. Do you prefer national forests or state parks? Ooh, that's a good one. That is, that's a new one, huh? You know what? I, man, California has so many amazing state parks, but I'll stick with the national forests. Again, they're a little more primitive, a little more rugged. I kind of like that, the solitude that's out there in the national forest. So I'll stick with the national forests. Well, that was it for the this or that questions, Megan. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. For folks that want to follow your journey in 2024, what are some of the places online that they could follow you at? I have my Instagram page. My handle is at schmegans underscore adventures. And I do have a TikTok. It pretty much is just my same Instagram reels. So, but same handle too at on the TikTok. So yeah, I'm pretty much just on Instagram. I just kind of keep it simple. And we'll be sure to, to link it on the episode show notes so folks can check out not just some of the peaks that you've been able to bag, but some of the, the great fish you've been able to catch as well. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Megan, for coming on the podcast. I'm looking forward to what 2024 has to offer for you. Thanks, Ivan. I appreciate you having me. And that brings us to the end of this episode alongside Megan. We extend a heartfelt thanks to her for coming on the podcast. Make sure to stay connected and follow her upcoming adventures on Instagram at schmegans underscore adventures. And don't forget to check out the episode show notes for more. We have an incredible lineup of episodes planned throughout the winter months, and we can't wait to share them with you. New episodes will be dropping every Monday with occasional bonus episodes on Fridays. To ensure you never miss out on those thrilling tales, remember to hit that like and subscribe button. Your support means the world to us. Don't forget to join our vibrant community on Instagram at Hikes and Mikes. We'll be sharing episode visuals, my own personal hiking content, and so much more. Let's stay connected and continue to inspire each other on this remarkable journey. As we bid farewell, remember to tread those happy trails, embrace the great outdoors, and keep the spirit of adventure alive. Until next time, my fellow explorers, happy hiking. This episode's music was created by Ketza. Follow him on Instagram, at Ketza Music. This episode is brought to you by Flip Socks. Whether you're on the trail, on the job, or in the yard, Flip Socks will keep Mother Nature out of your boots with their innovative nylon sleeve. You no longer need to worry about any annoying debris getting trapped in your boots during your hikes. Simply flip down the nylon sleeve over any boot to prevent Mother Nature from finding its way inside, keeping your feet comfortable all day long. To get your first pair, visit flipsockswithaz.com and enter promo code HIKESMIKES10 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. And for listeners who use the promo code at checkout, I'll be donating 100% of the Season 2 promo code proceeds to Big City Mountaineers, who provide transformative experiences through connections to nature that strengthen life skills and build community for youth and disinvested communities across the nation. So if you're tired of bits and pieces of the trail finding its way into your hiking boots, pick up a pair of flip socks today with the promo code HIKESMIKES10 to get 10% off. For website and promo code, see the episode description.